Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast on Treknobabble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we're going to do the Voyager movie of the week, Dark Frontier, from season five. Yeah, I think... Was this the first time I think they did the, like, not two-parter, but, like, 90, you know, two-hour single episode? Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, because um, I think even Killing Game, I think, was... That was after this, wasn't it? No, Killing Game was before this, because we've already done Killing Game. Oh. And I think, I'm trying to remember if that was... I know it's, like, aired in um, uh, later as two parts, but I'm trying to remember if they did it as, like, one go. But I think that was a two-parter. I think that was a two-parter from Inception. Yeah. Um, there was one after this that was a single-parter, right? I think it's another Borg one. Another yeah. Borg one. So, I mean, clearly they're... I remember the promotions for it. I remember seeing yeah. ads yeah. that said, and I believe they called it a Voyager movie of the week. Um, so clearly they're reaching for something, right? They're trying to make it bigger, more interesting, uh, all that. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to preface too much. Uh, I guess we can evaluate it both as an episode, but also as, is it? truly something bigger than an episode does it justify what they try to do with it i, yeah, guess? I see yeah because i think upn uh may it rest in peace uh was was really struggling to fill its uh time slots <laughs> yeah who i because i think it was like <laughs> it was a good couple of years before anything other than voyager was making it out of pilot season um so yeah, I think this was like they might not have had another hour drama to <laughs> to put on after this well, or before this. Yeah, I you know, I don't know. Was TV better or worse back then? Oh, worse, <laughs> worse, worse. I mean, but there was Voyager. <laughs> I, I I will grant you that you know TV as a whole is better today with the you know sort of nichification of everything it's it's unironically called the golden age of television i mean come on <laughs> yeah and I, I think that's true uh but there is a star trek shaped hole which we'll get to in our next podcast on sunday when discovery comes back on the air quote unquote i just did air quotes you can't see that um all right so why don't we start this episode we have our dvd media ready to go I'm sure that'll become an anachronism soon enough. And I'm going to press play for us. And you can press play at home in three, two, one. Press play. So we start with blackness and Borg speech. And then we cut to the Borg cube. Uh, okay, I'm... Not to be the negative uh, person here, I've, I'm not a fan of fisheye lenses on TV cameras. They are meant to imply something that just never comes off on screen. Like, this doesn't make me think dream sequence, this doesn't make me think alien view of the world, just makes me vaguely annoyed to look at. I don't, it just, ugh. Well, what's annoying me more is the strobe effect. I hate strobes on TV. Uh, I think, given the direction that they've done here, it's clear that it's intended to be a Borg eye view as opposed to a fish eye view. I do question whether Borg actually see things that way yeah. and if that's adaptive somehow. Like, it seems to me like they should be seeing things like Geordi or something. Right. You know? That's an interesting ship design. This yeah, is the, new for the yeah, Borg. The rectangular prism. We, we've got cubes, we've got 
uh, spheres, and I think there was a, sm a smaller cube in Iborg, and uh, we're, we're, we're running through all of the uh, polyhedrons. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, it was a nice effect. Um, the Borg view screen has always been... A little too much for somewhat good. mystifying to yeah. me. If, okay. they're, if they're all connected to the network, I don't see why they need to look at things with their eyes. But you know, I get it. It's TV. Like, like I said, the most rational explanation for the the best analogy for the Borg collective consciousness is it's like my body. My body is made up of a unified uh, set of sensors um, that contribute to a singular consciousness. Um, but that may not give them omniscience vis-a-vis -vis each other, and like it just that's the way I can make it make. That's why I square that circle. Um, my only problem here is I think this is probably the point where we really start digging in on the Borg being just less threatening, if only by virtue of their multiple appearances. Uh, the Enterprise in like Best of Both Worlds and even Descent, you know, barely escapes encounters by the skin of their teeth. Like one or two good shots from the Borg ship levels the flagship of the Federation. And there was a brief firefight that seems to have not really bothered Voyager. And it's it starts to annoy me where like by virtue of just surviving so many encounters with the Borg, it must diminish the argument that the Borg are this unavoidable threat. Uh, I hear that. I I know initially, and this is the, you know, very conditioned, nerdy Star Trek fan in me, initially upon watching this scene, I was waiting for some sort of explanation as to how they beamed a photon torpedo aboard the Borg vessel. Um, it is going to come. They are actually going to take care of that uh, in dialogue and say that they were adapting their shields or cycling their shields or something. So they, they do explain it. Um, all criticism aside, I think that was an interesting teaser. Uh, it was sort of taut and, you know, action-packed. It ended on an interesting note. They want to, you know, scour the wreckage, things like that. I mean, it's not like a cliffhanger teaser. The, the, the tension has abated, right? But I feel like it's interesting anyway. Don't you? Um, it, I'm not uninterested. It's not boring. Okay. Um, I don't know. It didn't grab me the way it grabbed you. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I almost question the ethics of this plan. I mean, what Janeway committed just now... I mean, you can argue they are already at war with the Borg, of course, but... Does that feel Starfleet to you, to intentionally destroy a ship full of sentient beings to ha harvest it for parts? Well, they didn't intentionally do it. They they inadvertently materialized the torpedo too close to a power node. They were hoping to damage oh, the Well, ship. we call that felony murder yeah. in law. Um, <laughs> they intended to kill a couple thousand, not well, not all of them. Right, so it, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a very provocative, aggressive step for a Starfleet captain. And I understand... And maybe if the... And I'm trying to recall how much we engaged this idea in the episode, but had it been like, well, we have an opportunity, we are in a perpetual state of conflict, and... Well, Janeway's going to have some dialogue coming up that I think will at least start to discuss or answer your questions. Yeah. Um, so, we've got some Borg debris here. So uh, I, was, I was watching Unification while doing random stuff uh, yesterday, and... Uh, I'm thinking of as the Vulcan ship. Uh, oh yeah, the debris you know, from in, the Tapau. Yeah. yeah. This is how I prefer the board in pieces. So, 
I'm noticing a lot of interesting camera angles. Uh, they are slightly more cinematic. Uh, they didn't go as far as to you know, make it widescreen or something. Um, well, I don't think TVs were widescreen at that point, or well, at least they, not. Not many. Yeah. But, I mean, if they were truly going for the the movie look, they could have, you know, done a letterboxed sort of thing. This is pretty good comedy. I don't know, but a few minutes ago, it was crawling around on the floor. You could tag that dude. You could put little, little orange cones and everything. Just, I'm trying not to be overly nitpicky. Okay, so... <laughs> In the last two years, they've added uh, time to their journey. She's tired of tucking tail and turning and running. Uh, and this is nice character stuff. Maybe I should go to Red Alert and get over with. You're about to drop one of your bombshells. And she is fiddling with her combat, which is a little weird. It's a little on the nose. It's like they. It's it's not like the Picard maneuver where it was something he actually did, and we noticed it after the fact and started making jokes about it. They. It's the only time I've ever seen her fiddle with her combat, so yeah. it's a little inorganic. Anyway, overall, I'm liking. No, it's it's well paced and not. Yeah, it's not. They're de they're delivering information in a, a relatively realistic way. Conversations are being interrupted. They come back to the thread. You know, each character gets things to do. And so we're seeing Janeway here. Uh, you know, she's interested in a transwarp coil, which I guess does something to help <laughs> the the, 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 thing. the MacGuffin drive yeah sure <laughs> you know I mean look their their entire modus vivendi is to find things that shorten their voyage right so and, and they'll often drop pieces of dialogue where they say you know this could cut X years off our journey and I I've never understood why now she was just doing that to mess with Chicago right right um I've never... So this is an interesting little vignette of a scene. Uh, Tom and Harry are talking about the Borg. They're going to have beers. Katarian beer. Which... Now wait, is Naomi half Katarian? Uh, it's like the Telerians and the Terralians. It's one of those she, like... That is it, it, it's just, it's just uh, phonetics that sound good put together. Now, see, Harry is expressing that he was only trying to disable them. And Tom says, they're just mindless automatons. I like this scene. I like it because it indicates that people aren't perfect. Frequently, they do pick Tom to be the, the person who's not perfect, but whatever. Um, that's, those beers have a nice head on them, too. Uh, and it looks like frosty mugs. Not bad. Um, but I, I like it because it indicates that Seven of Nine still has a sort of frisson, you know, with the crew, right? Nice graphics here in Astrometrics. 
I mean, these are really nice graphics. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, they've gotten these graphics kind of to the level that was on Generations when they did Astrometrics there. These are very detailed sensor readings. Yeah. Where is home for the board? Yeah. So, look, I mean, this is a long story, okay? We are now 10 minutes in to a one hour and 32 minute teleplay. And what they're doing here is setting up sort of the heist narrative, right? Yeah. And and that's a great structure. I think it really works to sell drama, you know? And golden age of television notwithstanding, uh, I feel like a lot of movies and TV shows have forgotten how to set up drama. Like, indicate the goal that the plot is supposed to reach. Then, you know, set up a series of reversals or, you know, difficulties for the, the heroes to overcome. You know, maybe change things midstream because new information has come to light, you know, and also develop the characters at the same time, right? I feel like in these first 10 or 11 minutes, we've been given enough to really kind of sink our teeth into the plot and form expectations. That, to me, and I'm not a drama student, I've never gone to college for it, but to my mind, being able to form expectations is key to enjoying a narrative because the expectations can either be met or subverted. But if you don't have enough consistent information to go on to form expectations, it's just a bunch of shit that happens, right? No, I, I get your point. And it's all hitting the marks it needs to hit. I'm not gripped yet. Um, I suppose in my first viewing, I was question. I was so, I was, my brain rem- remained even to this moment a little bit hung up on the wisdom of choosing to engage the Borg. That that seems like a... Given what the, 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 the rest of the story we've gotten about the Borg indicates this would be lunacy. That even in, their, even in a weakened state, um, directly choosing to, to force a confrontation is, a, is a, not a great idea. So, set, but setting that aside, I mean, it, and maybe it's just a matter of personal taste, heist narratives outside a few very limited... Of like like the better Ocean's Eleven movie, like the best I think the first one, uh, but like the the heist story has never been one that super grabbed me. Um, I like this character work for Seven. Um, the show has certainly done its job to establish and develop and complicate and resolve Seven's character, and this certainly pays dividends here. Um, I think this narrative thread that they're going to start on now is really what turns the story from sort of a mundane heist narrative because i agree it's it's a trope you know it's been done again and again and again both in and out of star trek and so that wouldn't be enough right but we're being given an emotional angle here you know seven of nine has been sort of thrust into humanness and she's had a, a tough go of it and she's been i think kind of intentionally keeping a distance between herself and her history, right? She's sort of going forward only from 
when she starts as the human seven, right? And not digging into any of her past because it's enough stress. It's difficult enough to be who she is, right? It to, to actually deal with on an emotional and psychological level, all the stuff that, you know, is repressed would be too much. And we've had the episode where she did that uh, inadvertently, right? Where the Borg, was it a vinculum, I think they yeah, called it? Yeah. Was activating a bunch of other Borg persona. Which, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't really her story anyway, right? But this is, is it true your parents were studying the Borg? And she's, you notice the dialogue. Yes, the Hansons were exobiologists. No, it's, it's the, the, yeah, the character work here is good. And she has very, very mixed and even negative emotions toward them. You know, they were misguided, right? And Neelix is doing his Neelix thing, you know, sort of relating a personal anecdote to try to be morale officer or whatever. And I, I think it works. I think it pushes her. What I wouldn't give for a treasure trove like this. So, Kevin, I will say, on my first viewing and in subsequent viewings uh, of Voyager at this time in its sort of lifespan as a series, I also questioned the wisdom of even doing Borg stuff. Yeah, just from a narrative standpoint, the reintroduction, and we'll get to this more when uh, the Queen, you know, spoiler alert, the Queen's going to be here. Um, we had some pretty robust narrative questions about the Queen in First Contact. Ones I was largely able to set aside because it was a movie and movies break stories differently and you need a bit more of a focused villain, blah, blah, blah. The number of times they go to the well with the Queen in Voyager becomes pretty annoying to me. And I'm trying to make sure that my event... And it's not a knock on the actor. Susanna Thompson is amazing, does an amazing job with the role right up there with Alice Krieger's performance. But um, I'm trying to make sure that my annoyance at the narrative use of the Queen does not preemptively color my analysis in this episode. Also, anyone about my our age, I guess my age, who remembers Salute Your Shorts, that is Ugg, the camp counselor, and it freaks me out every time I recognize him. Hmm. Well, one question I had... They've said Stardate 3-2 something something. Which would be eight years before the premiere of Next Gen. Yes. Yeah. The, the, I mean, what we have this problem with the Raven. Like, in order for all of this to work out and Seven of Nine to actually be Jerry Ryan's apparent age, they have to be looking for the Borg a decade before Q introduces them in Q-Who. And so... It's a retcon. Yes. We can just say it straight out. It's a retcon. Are we okay with it as a retcon? I do think, on the plus side, mm -hmm. that this is a really interesting story angle, right? These sort of rogue exobiologists who are chasing down theories and rumors. I'm willing to believe that there are theories and rumors. You know, I mean, like, outposts were disappearing. Who knows, right? I mean, Guinan ostensibly would... I do have questions about, like, them running it by the Federation Exobiology Council or something. Eh. Well, Star Trek's always had a fuzzy relationship with how much the government is actually running things in any primary way. Like, um, also, do we question the wisdom of... Br like, 
they brought their six-year-old. Yes. That seems <laughs> that seems negligent, and not even like one of those like hair splitting. Well, they didn't know. They couldn't have known. Blah 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 blah. Well, and she's listing all the things they've done now. They've deviated from their plan, crossed the neutral zone. <laughs> Our colleagues think we're insane. You know. Well, and 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 the and uh, little Annika was playing with the Borg cube toy. But, sorry, just rem- real just connected those dots and why that annoys me um no how do they know it's a board cube i get it yeah yeah and i like the ship schematic um these scenes do show the parents acting like parents but they are they're driven and on some level they're fundamentally irresponsible you know they are not being good parents because they are putting their daughter in also this is the federation i have to believe they have like a whole planet for daycare well, but so they're bringing her along and putting her in danger. But even if they left her at the at the daycare planet, you know, Haven or whatever you're going to call it, you know, or, the, or the planet with the creepy ghost and the uh, the <laughs> all the kids kill people, even that would have been a better plan. But like just like risking their safety, even if not risking their daughter's safety, would still be a fairly irresponsible act of parenthood. All that said, I mean, I like that they're irresponsible parents. I like that there are these people who are driven to irresponsibility, you know, in this world. Because that's more realistic, you know. There are people who do things that aren't good for their kids. And they're showing a realistic emotional fallout from that. Seven's pissed. Yeah. She's pissed. She's unhappy because her parents' decisions directly contributed to her life turning out the way it did, you know. Um. I think they're being acted well. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, I've got all of those continuity and retcon questions, and I certainly recognize the the emotional. I don't. I don't think they're story problems. I just think we're being presented with them and asked to grapple with them. You know, because that's what the character's doing. She's grappling with them. She doesn't like her parents. You know, and I can understand that. They they sold her out to advance their own, you know, sort of scientific curiosity and or exobiology careers or something, right? And I think Jerry Ryan's doing a heck of a job, you know, act I mean she's she's reading a pad. Yeah, yeah. But it works, right? It was a nice close up and a nice pull out and the way she delivers her lines that she's on her way, you know, it's good stuff. So to me, now that we've got that part mixed in with the heist narrative like there's enough emotional interest just for her and look and look at the way she walks in right look at her trepidation her you know her foreboding right personally even though i experience the sort of trek fan stuff i'm i'm now at the point where i'm gripped by the narrative I'm, I'm remaining... I'm, I'm like a gear below that. I'm engaged by the narrative. I'm not gripped by the narrative. Like, I gotta say, it, it's like watching a national tour. Not, not... That's not a good analogy. I'm gonna build this on the fly here. I think I've seen some really great national tour casts. But it's like... It, it, it's just... Um, this is a solid recreation of many things I like. Um... It hits. It hits the marks. It hasn't. It hasn't missed a mark. It hasn't made a overt misstep. Um, but it's kind of like 
I don't know. It's it's like a it's a solid but not exceptional piece of entertainment for me at this point. Right. And I don't know if it ever breaks that if it if it gets like escape velocity out of solid for me. I remain amazed number 1 at how much they can ring out of what's probably just like two hallways. Tall, yeah. You know, when they redress it and put different characters in it and then they, you know, do these camera pans and stuff like this. Um I'm happy they're not doing the sort of warbly fisheye look Indeed. now. Um, I will never, and this is not a problem of this episode or of Voyager, I will never understand how the Borg did not adapt a way of just noticing people on their ship. <laughs> you know, like, I don't see why you have to be pointing a phaser at someone to be recognized as a threat. Well, like I said, like I think I made this analogy when we first saw the Borg, like, uh, you know, using the human, the body as the analogy. You know, your immune system doesn't go to, you know, red alert at every bacteria it encounters. But after it encounters it a second time, it definitely goes there faster. It's how immunity is built. Yeah. Even if they generally don't have a policy of noticing a not immediate threat, they should just upgrade any, any federation human life science. yeah to to automatically full-on threat yeah <laughs> we're at war with humans we're trying to assimilate them you know the fact that they're on our ship is negative and we should respond with haste yeah right yeah there's no way this ends well <laughs> i like the set that they made for this transwarp quill it does look like a white wall tire from like a 1940s car or something. I remember thinking, I thought, I think they must have um, um, used the uh, warp core set from the Hathaway because it has that same kind of boxy hmm. feel. Now, see, if they were trying to get a, like a set of white wall tires for one of Tom's car projects, I think that actually could have been an interesting twist on the episode. <laughs> I don't know about that. So, you know, we're in a... Yeah, again, it's like... They should recognize seven at hey, least. Yeah. this transwarp coil is gone. Right, right. Maybe these randos walking around our ship had something to do with it. Right? And so they've got this timer, and the timer, like, indicates when the Borg will start noticing things. It, eh. Eh. I like the simulation. I like the fact that they're preparing... I like what that does for the narrative because, it, again, it gives us things to form expectations. Well, based it's like on. I liked. Uh, it's like, um, like the similar scenes in Chain of Command, and this is one of the times where the callback actually was nice rather than well. Repetitive. It just it makes sense. It's, yeah, it's they would prepare. It makes sense for these characters. Yeah, <coughs> they've adapted. One day we're going to have a conversation with the writers about what it means to adapt to a phaser frequency and why the Borg can't just preemptively adapt to all of them. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's, an, it's a bit of a narrative crutch. It's like you kill two of them to show that you can, but then it's more scary when you can't can no longer kill them. I get it. So yeah, that we definitely saw that hallway before. <laughs> Yeah, they do look like... <laughs> it's interesting what they do. And so, I also like that they're training on two holodecks. Yeah. One holodeck is the bridge, one holodeck is the Borg uh, sphere. I th questions aside, I think that was an effective... Spot. No, yeah, totally. 
I mean, you knew they weren't, like, you knew instantaneously they weren't really on the real cube yet. Well, it's too... It, it's too early, it's, yeah. it's too early a jump. The pace has been established, and we, we have a feeling for the rhythm of the story now, right? It's like we had a Borg scene, a ship scene, a flashback scene. Now we've had a Borg scene, presumably we'll have a ship scene, and a flashback scene, right? There's There's a certain narrative to it. And, of course her flashbacks are providing valuable information to the present day storyline <clears throat> I, you know the, the whole like shaving seconds off of things it's like how about just running you know like it seemed like you were very deliberate in all your actions <laughs> did, did, you, did you have to go that slowly because it seems to me you could have shaved like you know, one out of every ten seconds off of the whole trip. So I know, Kevin, you and I both would love to hear more about the tension between these two actors, right? <laughs> because they had so many scenes together, and the scenes were often like this. They were like yeah, just J Janeway delivering, you know, like reprimands and questions and you know so in some ways you get the feeling like Kate Mulgrew sort of intentionally had an attitude towards Jerry Ryan because well, it fit I, their characters. No, well no I think Kate Mulgrew resented having a attractive 20 younger year old younger woman brought on her show when like she's talked about like oh she said so yeah yeah, yeah. and she said that um, she came to respect Jerry Ryan but then Jerry Ryan has said that like she couldn't eat on days she knew that yeah. she would have a scene with Kate Mulgrew because her stomach just, you know, was in knots, right? So here comes uh, Naomi, who was also just recently in the very last episode, Bliss, uh, paired up with Seven of Nine. I like this a lot. I think that they have great chemistry together. I think it really does a lot for a Seven's character because on some level, she's at kind of a similar level of emotional development yeah, yeah. as, you know, a child. Well, I mean, like we said in our review, like, I think I said this in my review for Bliss, like, like you know, Data and every child he's ever met, um, Odo and Taya the holographic girl. Um, th th I mean, Star Trek is rife with examples of the not-quite-human character bonding with a child, and I think it's for that reason. Um the, the, their emotional developments are similar, or their, if not their emotional development, certainly their understanding of uh, their place in society is at a similar level of development. Now, this is where the dialogue starts getting weird. <laughs> Seven is saying that she's bothered. What's it like to be a drone? Does it hurt? I, I like the way Seven's responding. Do the Borg have kids? <laughs> She's like, just get out of here. That effect wasn't great. They, well, they clearly dusted it off from... I mean, they might have just grafted the scene from First Contact on Patrick Stewart's face onto hers. That was, like, the literally the same effect. It was more gruesome in First Contact, and I wish they had gone to that level of gruesomeness here to make it more shocking, right? Okay, so... Clearly this is... 
not quite a dream, sort of a vision something, right? We're half an hour in, so we're about a third of the way into the narrative. We've accessed your neural transceiver. Does she still have a neural transceiver? If she does, why is it accessible to the Borg? Uh, Maybe it's suffering from the uh, same uh, security flaws as all our Intel processors. I suppose that could be it. <laughs> she she hasn't gotten the security updates. Well, she's been out of you know, yeah yeah she 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 has voided that warranty. Um, so we're being teased a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we have an idea, having seen First Contact, that the voice belongs to the Queen, right? And we're being told that the Queen desires Seven for some reason. She is unique in some way, okay? So that's sort of a, a narrative hook. I like how they show the ship being really, really tiny. Yeah. Um, that's nice. Uh, the, Okuda, the Okudas, I assume, did a really good job... Uh theming all this to look like uh, TNG era yeah. stuff yeah yeah it's really nice I mean the consoles themselves look better than the season they, one yeah. TNG but, but the are, graphics are yeah, the same yeah I mean it's really just the, the set builders are better yeah now yeah than they were then it, it's it's close enough to not be jarring yeah and to feel comfortable Every time I look at those discs above the uh, Borg alcoves, I think of the like little like plasma discs that they used to sell at like Spencer's Gifts and similar stores. Like if you you know if you went up and touched it, it would all arc to your finger. So Borg from different subunits are interacting. Here's an instance where the little doohickey on his face actually kind of works like it's like a like like google glasses yeah it's, um it looks like in fact i wonder to what extent it is made out of or will be made into um the similar uh dominion ips especially i think one of the earlier versions it actually looks a lot like sort of a bluetooth headset yeah you know it's got the bright blinking light or whatever but at least it's not beeping and saying headset Headset. Do not notice. Do not notice. <laughs> That's a discovery reference, just in case you're, you're interested. I'm, and I and I agreed with the criticism at the time, <laughs> but I'm sure a completely cursory a search of the record would find as many uh, somewhat egregiously ostentatious pieces of subtle technology in the Star Trek record, so it didn't quite pull me out of the moment the way you did, but that is a conversation best left for our next Discovery podcast. So the doctor here is kind of putting a button on what she's going through. And he's, of course, very clinical. I love this line reading here. Because of their arrogance, I was raised by the Borg. And the doctor's like, uh, 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 Okay. <laughs> See, like, she's going through post-traumatic stress here. Yeah. Right? It's like a panic attack. And the camera angles are really good at selling it. And her acting is 
really on point. No, here. she's a very good physical actress. Like she she nails tiny movements. Like when she did scared in some early episodes, like she got smaller physically, and it was really impressive to watch. So we've got more Janeway 7 stuff here. And she wants to take her off the team. And she's kind of soft selling it. Yeah. Because you know that's not why she's doing yeah. it. Yeah. Right? She's not taking her off the team because she needs her at, on the bridge. She's worried about her. And 7's pushing back, and Janeway's not relenting immediately. But now she taps her cup, and you can see... <laughs> okay, you wanted the truth? Here's the truth. Is it? Is it really unwarranted? This is really good organic dialogue, because it totally makes sense for the captain. Uh, you know, she's trying to balance all the issues involved and make sure that, you know, everybody can actually do the job she needs them to do for the mission. The only question here is whether Seven's going to pull a when you liberated me from the collective argument. So, Seven says, if I don't go, this mission will fail. Why is she so certain about that? Yeah, this really works. No, yeah, no one, no one is being stupid. No one is being needlessly combative or needlessly accepting of statements at face value. It, it, it works. Well, and you believe that they know each other. You know, yeah. we've witnessed the things that they're talking about. They haven't had too many of these conversations, but they're getting there. We are on the we are getting into the fat part of the bell curve of Seven and Janeway having conversations about her borkness. You know that Janeway's going to give in when her eyes move. Mm. Sometimes they have the camera right on her face and her eyes dart back and forth a little bit, like she's calculating things in her head or something. Uh, See, that would have been more credible. Jacote said, I, 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 I was watching your eyebrows, you know, that rather than yeah. fiddling with her combat, something she has never done before or since. Yeah, she's much more subtle. Make out... Uh, the internet's there for you, man. Yeah. I did not know that. No, it's true. So so many things I'm learning. Kelly pointed out that Kate Mulgrew gave up a daughter to adoption. And so that might be informing her performance uh, with 
Jerry Ryan. <coughs> so now we're back in sort of fisheye Borg territory. I kind of question why the vessel wasn't detected previously. I guess they got close enough or something. Ah, class two shuttlecraft. Not the Delta Flyer. I like that they're still stuck with the gigantic... Yeah, those are... <laughs> ...compression rifles. I, I mean, they're being consistent, right? They, yeah. So far. I do believe there's a point in the future of Voyager where they just start using the, the movie rifles. Yeah. So you modulate the power profile of the shuttle... Who is this narrator on the Borg ship? <laughs> it's interesting to use a Borg sphere. It's kind of Star Wars-ish. Yeah, I remember th uh, when they were showing the schematic during the Four Knox speech, it looked very much like the uh, Death Star schematic scene in uh, three of the nine, four of the nine Star Wars movies. <laughs> yeah, they may have gone back to that well a few too many times. See now, because of how they've shown that they've had difficulties before, and you know, we we have expectations built up. I think these scenes are relatively tense, right? Still not a fan of the strobing. Never going to be. There's going to be an Enterprise episode that I will literally take a point away simply for strobing <laughs> so seven's having another little mini vision for jerry ryan's sake i sincerely hope they built that out of archive footage yeah i don't know i don't know i mean that would be like six hours of work for 10 seconds of screen time yeah Like, how do you not know a bomb is a problem? Like, it, they're bombs. Yeah, and it seems like their sensors should be good enough to get through that plastic carrying case. Right. <laughs> the, it's the one thing the Borg never adapted to, styrofoam. Maybe it's a Samsonite or something. Maybe it's one of those nifty ones that uh, has a battery and a USB port to charge your devices. Yeah. Why is the captain on the away mission? Good question. She's the star of the show, number one. And, uh, she, and she has to have the dramatic goodbye with Seven in a second. She is a badass. Have we had the telepathic picture plant? Uh, no, wait. That's Bliss. Have we had the macrovirus episode yet? I think so. Yeah. Haven't we? So yeah. she's been established as basically, you know, Ripley yeah. in Star Trek. I do wish they had made the thing that holds it look a little more technological on the inside. Yeah. It just looks like this blank space that nothing was connected to. That's uh, a minor quibble. The, the rest of it looks really cool. 
Now, why do you wish to stay? I mean, this is a pretty dramatic moment, right? Yeah. Why is she, I mean, like, she just said, Voyager's her collective. Why does she intend to rejoin the Borg? Yeah, this scene really works. It subverted our expectations, and the acting was really on point. It must be hard. I mean, I guess that's what they get paid for, right? But it must be hard to look into a television camera and make your nostrils flare and, like, look upset and stuff to, like, keep yourself in the moment of the scene when clearly they, they probably, like, Everybody broke, and they took five minutes to set up a new camera, new lighting, and all that stuff. So I guess they have multiple transwarp coils on this ship. And that's what going into transwarp looks like or something. Do I wish they had explained all that stuff in greater detail? Oh, God, yeah. I and mean, when we get to the Transwarp hub at some point, it's just, like, the most annoying. Well, it's like... Look, in Star Trek Three, there was Transwarp Drive on the Excelsior, the great experiment, right? And they built it up to be something really amazing, and then they just sort of turned it into a joke um, within... The, the four walls of that movie this is this is a neat effect I think uh, there's interesting stuff going on I question its utility well I mean yeah why like, not just use a planet right it has to be even for the Borg's considerable resources more energy to maintain this <laughs> tinker toy thing than um, I really hope they just let, like, a house cat loose on the set of Voyager uh, this week, because the cat would be in heaven. I've caught, like, 95 red lasers on the walls. Um, I I was always wondering if the red lasers would, like, I don't know, sort of lasciviously go down her body, because the extras would be... Uh, <laughs> so that if they did, they avoided putting that to film. <laughs> This effect is less good than the one in Generations, or well, sure. First Contact. Of course, it is. But it's pretty good. It's, I mean, it's solid CGI, but it is clearly CGI. It's, it's, it's a very good video game. My, my question of utility is, is storing the, the body parts separately and then, like, snapping them together really better right. the, than the, just having a full body ready to go? I, anyway... Now that the effect is finished, uh, she looks good. Um, you know, the pulling on the skin is similar. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's done... I, I mean, I wonder how much, how many appliances they just reused yeah. from Alice Krieger. Like, the, the head piece, maybe they just used yeah. completely in total. And Susanna Thompson, she's got a great face. Um... 
she definitely works in the role. Welcome home. No, she has to nail that kind of slightly icky but slightly sensual vibe, and Alice Krieger did it. And but also so. imperious, right? Yeah. They've taken you apart. got a skinny neck well I think there's probably some uh, I mean, perspective it looks skinny, warping yeah, because her head is bigger than it normally would be I don't recall us thinking she had a skinny neck in uh, the uh, Trill episode on DS9 she also played the queen in the uh, all too brief NBC series Kings which oh, yeah. was amazing such a great show if, if the golden age of television and streaming is going to resurrect anything, it should be Kings on Netflix. Come on, guys. Make it happen. We need more Susanna Thompson. They're bringing back Animaniacs now. I heard. On Hulu, unfortunately. <coughs> now, huh? We put you on Voyager intentionally. Well, didn't they put a bunch of people on Voyager? It was just, like, luck that... Though I guess Seven was already, like, their liaison. Yeah. Does that plan seem too complicated by half? Yes. Yes, it does. Like, you've assimilated several humans. What insight about the lived experience of humanity would you not get from a human? The lighting here is effective. This strobing is a lot less intrusive. <laughs> it's more like sparking. Yeah. Well, now it's intrusive. I've always questioned the idea of regenerating while standing. Like, your muscles have to work to keep you standing. Like, they should at least clamp you down or something. Yeah, it really just looks like a white wall tire. It, it does have gr glowy, greeny things. But well, that's that's the that's the only thing it must have. <laughs> so back to transwarp. What does transwarp mean? Yeah. Does it mean, like I suppose the prefix trans indicates. Uh, Cross, shifting between things side, yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to going through one continuum solely uh, instead crossing over through different continua or like does it make like wormholes or something yeah but they don't seem to indicate that transwarp allows you to instantaneously travel across vast distances but that it is just faster than I guess yeah. warp nine point seven five yeah. or nine point nine seven five or whatever the maximum cruising velocity of Voyager is supposed to be. Um, and when they get to the hub thing that you mentioned, Kevin, they seem to indicate that there are like tubes, like yeah. it's, it's a series of tubes, you know, <laughs> like like the internet. <laughs> 
Is that reference dated by now? <laughs> well, who knows what the internet will be once the FCC is done with yeah. it. Yeah. You may all be uh, listening to this podcast on dial-up speeds as we get throttled out of existence. But freedom... Uh, <laughs> so they're having an interesting sort of debate here about Seven and what her possible motivations could be. Polytrinic compounds. Okay, so how far are we into this now? About halfway? A little over half. Okay. So, now, first we had the heist plot to get the transwarp dealy bob. Um, and now we're going to have a heist plot to go get Seven. Yeah. Does it feel like this required a double-length episode to tell this story? I think that what has happened to this point, basically to the point of Seven being uh, you know, absconded with by the Borg, would be a, a pretty complete episode... And there would be not much way to compress things. Like, the pacing is the pacing, and the pacing works, you know? One of my frequent criticisms of uh, the new show, Discovery, is that it's like someone said, great, now do it faster and with more intensity, you know? And they just tried to, like, cram three episodes worth of story into one teleplay every single time, right? This has been given time to breathe, time to have characters talk to each other, time to show emotional reactions on faces. And, and you know, like, I don't... Th- I So my answer to your question is, I think they really could not have compressed okay, this. Okay, l- 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 let me rephrase. Um, I appreciate that at the pace that is narratively functional, they couldn't compress it into a single episode. Maybe it's that it's essentially the same plot twice? Well... In some way it is, right? But, of course, the motivation is totally different. The transwarp coil doesn't want to stay. <laughs> it's just a thing, right? Now we have the emotional aspects yeah, of Yeah, I don't know. Just, um, it feels like we're gearing up to be the same thing. Um, I just... I want to compliment Scarlett Palmer's on her on her techno babble. No, not not just that, but on her facial acting. Yeah, like the level of acting that she's doing here. You know, it looked like she was thinking about things. It's a rare child actor that can stand up to an extreme close up. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and still come off as. I mean, look at her face, right? I mean, she is she the best kid actor that's been on Star Trek? I think she certainly Voyager. I mean, not that there's a ton of competition, but... Um, I mean, we're eventually going to get the, the other board kids. Well, I, bear, well, I mean, the, they're kind of non-entities, and Echeb's not really a child yeah. actor. Yeah, um, I do like Echeb, though. Um, it's better than, uh, I think, most of the TNG ones. Uh, Timothy and uh, Jeremy, and uh, they were a little wooden. Both Alexanders. Brian Bonsall wasn't bad, but I didn't like... I liked. They him more never than, gave him anything good to do. Yeah, I, I liked him more than the one they got for Teenage Alexander. Uh, I'm with you there. <coughs> so 
See, and going back to like my teenage nerddom, that long shot always annoys me because it's like, why not just send two cubes? Best of both worlds ends completely differently. Like, the implication that the Borg have a galaxy-spanning, extremely populated empire makes their narrow defeats at the hands of the Federation inexplicable. Even her plan eventually that she'll reveal here of like, um... Uh, you know, virusing humans to death or whatever. It's just like, just send two cubes. Every time you send one cube, that cube is barely defeated. Barely. Just send two. Uh, it, maybe, maybe that was where my like, like the 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 thorn in my paw of annoyance that will just never leave. It's just this idea that Voyager posited something fundamentally inexplicable about the Borg. Well, let's put it this way. Previous Borg stories failed to address that problem, and Voyager has continued to fail to address it, and has done something that seems to fly in the face of what could have addressed it. Yeah. Right? Like, I think the, the best solution for Voyager, I always thought, would have been finding out the Borg were, like, one big planet or operation, and that a single cube represented some meaningful, epic, supercarrier-like investment of resources that even at their speeds could not be easily replicated like like a cycle of once every five or six years is how often they can throw a cube at you yeah that, that would have been a much more sad because sure. also it also would have refined the borg origin story to a single people and i would not have minded the borg origin story we got it in the books and it didn't it was fine it wasn't terrible just didn't 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 <coughs> do it for me really so like I'm so, I, I understand emotionally what's going on here yeah yeah I kind of don't understand why they really need her and right like I what, mean she has that question too yeah, right? what do they get from her that they didn't get from Lacutus I guess my question of the seven of nine character is why why the hell is she here right yeah. why did she? abscond during that mission right yeah she doesn't want to help but she doesn't want to stay well which is it you know and so they're going to assimilate a ship and maybe this is my other problem like i can't be i can't blame voyager entirely for this because first contact created the problem and it's a problem we identified in first contact that said the Borg Queen, because of her single appearance, had a certain mystique um, that raised a lot of unsatisfying questions, but did not fail them in a certain way. The Borg Queen's activities, motivations, responses remove the Queen from any hint that she is an other, that she is truly the focal point or genesis or object of a truly alien species. She could literally be dressed as Cleopatra right now. Well, and whenever she's emotional, that really sort of harshes the illusion. Right. That's, so maybe that's... that's. I, I feel like whatever problems we had with First Contact get turned up to 11 here. And that annoys me as well. So here's another Katarian. Yeah. Maybe he's the brewer. Are these like labels or something? 
Or are they, I, I don't know, like what are they reading here? Monica's helping out. So they know about the Borg Queen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. And so they're delivering good information here, but it does fly in the face of some, you know, like I'm, I'm willing to go along with that they know more now because yeah. they followed, you know, the ship that they saw. Nice use of the old it, transport. Yeah, effect. yeah, I did. I did clock that. That was good. That's a nice sweater. Its length identifies it staunchly in the 90s when it was purchased. <laughs> like, it, it is hitting her, her, mo- her hips in, like, just the place that a mom would choose a sweater in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, the pants are a little matchy-matchy. As uh, Michael Kors might say. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, again, the flashback scenes are delivering vital information to the people in the current uh, story. And the information here is that clearly the queen is somehow in contact with Seven of Nine. She exerts some influence. It's interesting. I don't know if it's intentional, but it's interesting that they had... uh, Monica Hansen's mom in sort of that gray, gray, gray sweater. And now they cut to Janeway just yeah. in gray. Has her hair changed again? It looks really good in this episode. No, it's. I think it's like they let it grow out a little from, you know, it kind of oscillates a little in length and fullness, but the, the general shape, I believe, has uh, settled in for the winter. Janeway is asking the good question here. Problem is, I don't think there's a good answer. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll find out. I do, you know... (laughs) I kind of wonder about the uniform. Like, why don't they zip it up all the way? Is it designed to only zip to a certain level? Yeah. I, I, I've always liked this uniform. I liked it on DS9 and I like it on Voyager. Uh, it's just the, the, the whole jacket and sub-shirt structure is just a little odd to me. There's that CG. Whew. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's early. No, I know. They're, they're reusing using it. it, but whew. To be fair, Kevin, we are blowing it up to 106 inches here <laughs> on a projector. It didn't look that great on a 36 inch. No, it was stand. it was clearly see you know bad CG, even when it was on a tube TV. So that was an interesting montage. Now they're sort of compressing things, you know, because we've got now. Oh, well, 30 minutes to go, but they compressed a lot of the sort of build-up stuff. And in standard heist trope style, Janeway is telling us how things should go, right? 
And that's a good formula for drama. Because once you know how things should go, then when things don't go that way, you know, you feel tension. I've always wondered about how dark the Delta Flyer is. I guess they've got, you know, like lit screens and stuff. But what if you, like, dropped something? Everyone's going to have to break out their reading glasses if they're allergic to Retinax 5, because that's going to put some eyes straight on you. Yeah. So I guess the Delta Flyer can go in transwarp. So they're in this transwarp tube. We've crossed the threshold. That's a word with a lot of freight <laughs> in Voyager history. See, they're, they're, they're making it out to be extreme velocity. You know, not an actual, like, jumping from one place to another, right? And they can adjust course. So I'm taking transwarp to be something like... So warp is <coughs> warping of subspace such that the thing inside the subspace bubble goes faster than light while not violating the overall uh you know like conservation with the, the speed of light as being the limit right and so transwarp maybe is doing that to a greater degree it's warping something else or warping it greater yeah uh, I, i'm gonna say transwarp makes as much sense as the mushroom drive there i said it but at least they don't explain transwarp, right? It's like they knew it was something that if they tried to explain it, it would fail, right? Uh, it's why I, ha I, I can accept that they've, they've laid out some rules for the mushroom drive. It's caused drama when, those, when they run up into things like the ethical concerns for using possibly <coughs> sentient beings to power it. They've, they've, they've cleared they've cleared. I was okay with that. What I'm not okay with is the notion that there is somehow fungus permeating the universe. That, that, that's just, that's stupid, well, right? Is it is it less stupid than there's subspace permeating yes. the universe? Yes, it is less stupid than that. It's less stupid. Subspace I mean, isn't they're all, mushrooms. They're all, they're all MacGuffins. The faster than light travel is apparently impossible. Yes, Because Neil yes. deGrasse Tyson is a fuddy-duddy. Exactly. But... What's the way that you're going to circumvent that universal speed limit? Some physics that we don't know yet, or fucking mushrooms? And One I, is stupider than the other. I, Admit it. I, 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 maybe I'm just choosing to interpret mushrooms as more metaphorical than literal. No! They have spores! They're growing them in a fucking garden on the ship. It's literal mushrooms. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, nothing's narratively happening right now. So, I will freely admit that transwarp is woefully underexplained. And, you know, subspace as the I mean, mechanism even warp for warp itself is kind of a jury-rigged explanation. Like, I don't think that's what they were... T like, warp drive was just faster than light travel in the original series. Any any kind of gluing on of subspace fields, no, that, that happened in Next TNG, Gen. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. I think, think you might be being a little harsh on Discovery. <laughs> Look, they were like, they had science consultants, okay? 
like Andre Borminus and whoever else. I think Naren Shenkar was a science consultant before he became a writer. And the writers were like, okay, I feel like we need to go at least a little bit into how they're doing what they're doing, right? Can you come up with an explanation that does not expressly contradict existing physics and maybe finds some self-consistent physical explanation of its own? And they're like, okay, there's another layer of energy in the universe called subspace, and we can warp that layer so that, you know, we can push ourselves in a bubble, okay? Now, later, that was actually not the subspace part, but the warping part, confirmed by Alcubierre, you know, in his paper, uh, you know, talking about... I mean, what you're really mad at is that Discovery does not engage in more explicitly hard sci-fi, which is fine, it's a complaint, but I feel you're allowing it to... <sighs> Just like prevent you from engaging with the show, and like it's not that it like, it's not that I disagree with any of the problems you identify. It's that I don't they don't ding the show as hard for me as they do for you because I think you're coming at it from the other side. Maybe so. All right, back to this scene. We've got this you know bump head race that's being assimilated. Uh, the Borg Queen has assimilated all of Seven of Nine's emotions and thoughts. Doesn't she know this is how she's going to react? Yeah. These people are weird. Do, do they get injected with, like, a tranquilizer so they, they're not, like, violently struggling? I mean, there are people screaming in the background. Yeah... I feel like they should be sedated. Yeah. Maybe they are sedated. I, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like they understand to me. I mean, I, I guess maybe the queen is just testing her or something. But, again, she should have a reasonable expectation of results on what that test will be, and... I mean, this is maybe this is where the episode kind of drags for me. Like the Borg, the Borg's plot doesn't make enough sense to provide the narrative energy for the back half of this episode. I do like the dramatic uh, pin lights that follow. The yeah, queen. like like uh, Morticia Adams. Well, or like Captain Kirk in TOS. <laughs> it's like he always had one strip of light going across his eyeline. I do like the way that the Borg Queen is sort of explaining the ethos, right? They had trivial, selfish lives. Now they're part of something greater. And, you know, 709 is being, you know, kind of bitchy about it. But, you know. See, the thing is, she's not wrong. I think there would be plenty... There was, like, I think it was a PvP. The joke was, like... Uh, how the board would actually assimilate people. They would, like, just plug you into the collective for, like, a hot second and then, like, tell you it's it's $59.99 a month after this and people would trip over themselves to do it. I think plenty of people would would choose to surrender their individuality in exchange for the sense of knowledge or community that the collective would provide. I don't think they'd actually need to forcibly assimilate people as as everyone sitting in this room right now has a phone that connects them to a, a web of information. To a mind, yeah. yeah. Oh, Twitter. Well, in, in a lot of ways, the Borg are a natural evolution of the concept that was introduced to TNG in the Binars, right? Yeah. And I do kind of think, I don't know if they could have done it, but 
I think it kind of would have worked if the Binars had just become the Borg. You know? I mean, seriously. Like, if the Binars were the origin of the Borg and... I don't know. Like, in the far future, they became the Borg, and then the Borg traveled back into something. Or, or in the far past, a splinter group of yeah. binars. Susanna Thompson, they're both doing a lot of good face acting here. Yeah. So they're the last four members of their species. But that's what you were hoping for, wasn't it? I'm sorry this lesson has to be so painful for you. So these scenes work. But the overall structure, I agree with you, the overall structure of why the Borg are doing what they're doing is questionable. Yeah. Now, why did she let them go? I thought compassion was irrelevant. I wonder what they told Susanna Thompson that her character was thinking in that moment. Right? I wonder if she got yeah. direction or e even, you know, like input from the scriptwriter, the writers, Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Do you like the, the design of the ship? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforwardly Federation-y. This ship has very bad uh, sound isolation. Yeah. <laughs> I do always question clothing in Star Trek <laughs> and presumably they've been on the ship for months maybe even a year at this point don't they have a birthday scene with Annika at some point yeah but it always seems like they're wearing I mean, no, well, that, she's wearing that, is, that is a different yeah they're wearing different sweaters yeah he had a brown sweater I mean they they clearly rated like a like a she's J. Crew a catalog yeah They've got a house plant. There's a great blog, uh, like the house plants on the on the Enterprise D. It is hilarious. <coughs> what are these illustrations on her wall? They're like schematics. These are really bad parents. They're curious about us, like we are about them. But don't worry, we won't let them get too close. I mean, even under the best of circumstances, the Hansons are risking precipitating a confrontation with the Borg a decade before. That would have been a completely stupid but hilarious twist if, like, John Delancey just showed up to be like, nope, not ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that, that might have undercut the episode. Yeah, it would This have. is an interesting uh, look at that pad. It's like they physically like made a decal with the text on it. Well, I, I'm not talking about the quality of the effect. I'm talking about what it represents as like the the sort of graphical user interface. Mm. When they look at logs, they're actually actually looking at writing. Sometimes logs are audio. Yeah. Sometimes you know I don't know. It's a very log heavy culture, right? Like. The amount that people log their day seems <laughs> excessive to us, but then they don't have TV, I guess. Well, so. to be fair, they don't have Twitter. I mean, someone could look back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like, well, but I mean, you they've clearly up they've, they've upped the character limit to like ten thousand <laughs> or something. I mean, we could make jokes about how people would never actually think that they have a need to narrate their life in the third person, but then here we are. <laughs> I use first person. The doctor just said that Annika was four years old. She looked more like five or six. Six, to me. yeah. So if Annika was six, eight years before Next Gen, um, that would make her. 14 at the start of next gen early so I guess early 20s so I would say Jerry Ryan looks more like a very attractive 30 yeah like and I believe the actress is in her early 30s she's probably 32 yeah oh god there's a great way to feel like I haven't done anything with my life Jerry Ryan was my age when she was doing this um, <laughs> she took a different path, Kevin. It's okay. <laughs> I don't think I looked that way Again, I question why they don't just automatically detect the Delta Flyer. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're using the Hansons technology, but, but they've don't assimilated they know? the Hansons, yeah. yeah. I like, I like the Borg's uh, modesty speedos. <laughs> Who did they cast for that? <laughs> it's like a male fitness model yeah. or something. It's a very big belly button. Like it's an innie, but it's a large innie. It's like you could, like a golf ball. Were you into this as a... Well, I mean, it was a man in his underwear. I mean, there was slim pickings on network television, let me tell you. They are very form-fitting underwear, aren't they? <laughs> so this is an interesting. Okay, idea. so here even this doesn't the conversation doesn't make sense. What insight about humanity do you need to successfully virally propagate things? Like if a virus were just doing a slow burn propagation, that's it end of end of humanity like it's like it doesn't make sense what insight seven would have to make that virus work better is it really no different i mean it was different when it was a completely random alien species we all originated from lesser species Katarian. <laughs> no, it's not. Katarian. I'm, I'm joking. 
that that sort of dialogue okay i you might think i'm a voyager apologist i you know i don't think i am i think i really enjoy the show uh it's always bugged me that voyager never gave an explicit origin for the board yes i agree who is species one yeah you know she says she's from species one two five great you know get we're getting lower right yeah it's like, let's work our way down. Well, though humans are like, have a pretty high number, and then Talaxians have like a five-digit number, so it's, there doesn't seem to be a, maybe it's like a Dewey Decimal System thing, where like bipeds, or, you know, gaseous life forms, and... <laughs> yeah, they never get into that either. I, I would really like to see them assimilating some... Like the calamarine? <laughs> yeah, or some, or, you know... Species 8 Well, they tried 8472. The I guess the Zin... I remember, Annika, that smile is very upsetting. How did the queen not be from Species 1? Well, assumably there are, like, replacement queens. Yeah. Maybe it's like RuPaul's Drag Race. Each year they have a contest to pick the new queen. A a show I would absolutely watch. (laughs) My my impression as to the answer to that question (laughs) is that this particular species was just very well suited to this role. You know, and so maybe Species 1 okay. was, was the original Borg Queen. I have to say, the Borg Queen has to have the emotional awareness of, like, a potato bug to think that showing her her assimilated father would do anything other than horrify her in this moment. What did you say? Well, and she's acting the heck out of it. You know, like, trying to climb up the wall yeah. to get away from, you know, this horror. I like that Captain Janeway is using her sort of Borg transceivers to send her a message. These ship shots are well done. They're they're giving a sense of movement through space. Is this rescue plan very tactically wise? No. <laughs> not at all. I have to say, the back half of this episode has required me to turn off my brain a little. Moderately. Oh, so there you go. We did assimilate that knowledge. So, so this implies that even, like, the Borg's knowledge is not running concurrently through their every thought it's like files on a computer I have an antivirus program that doesn't mean the antivirus program is running on every file at once but again I think that's a fun question Voyager could have dug into what is the nature of the Borg collective consciousness is there a Borg archive are there Borg librarians you know yeah is there ancient Borg knowledge is there stuff that they discard that's no longer useful yeah you know like Frontline knowledge, yeah. but that could be accessed. <laughs> Do the Borg have a bunch of like zip drives and uh, or what were, zip discs? Z- yeah, yeah, zip discs. Uh, they were. Uh, <laughs> Note to the future from the past: Stop trying with the proprietary formats. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Do the Borg have an operating system? Does it get rolled out like a new version? <laughs> 
Is this like... <laughs> I think that's Apple's new one. Uh, is this Windows 8000? Well, yeah, I think after uh, Leopard comes Collective. <laughs> and and I'm sorry, and, and full disclosure, I am a proud many, many years Android user, but if any operating system is the precursor to the Collective, it's Apple. It's Apple. Well, given the behavior of people who buy Apple products. And I'm, please, please, tell me you can't picture Steve Jobs' head and shoulders being lowered into his robotic body at the start of each day. Yeah. Wasn't that a future <laughs> Just one more thing. Resistance is futile. <laughs> okay, why would they not notice them now? <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> I guess they are wearing the, the, the camouflage dealies, but it's, it's a lot of... I I agree with you, but I feel as though the the Borg noticing stuff issues are endemic. And yeah, not it's not particularly. And I'll, you know, I'll say this: when they did it in Next Gen, it actually made a certain amount of sense because when they realized the Borg were ignoring them, the pan out was to like a a space so large it in interior space had a vanishing point. Sure. So it actually gave rise to the notion that this space is so big and therefore so unmanageable on any sort of real-time awareness that being ignored made sense. The kind of claustrophobic feel makes it a little more um, hard to believe that. they Like, you have to step around me, dude. Come on. Like... <laughs> So the ship can apparently cloak itself somehow. <coughs> Janeway got a manicure. Well, I don't know how you prepare for battle, but if I'm going to die, I'm going to die looking good. Those are some shiny nails. Uh, I do always love the way that, like, three buttons can apparently manipulate anything of any scale at any time. It's like... Yeah. It's like you learn to let it go, because you, otherwise you can't enjoy yourself. But every so often I'm like, you hit two buttons. How did you, like, make all those things happen? <laughs> I like her talking along with it. Yeah. There are enough backhands in my day. <laughs> yeah, how did they get here? Yeah. Good question. Like, no doors? Like, it makes a... Like, even in, like, Deep Space Nine, which we were kind of like, there's no guards in this building, at least they said there are no guards in this building. <laughs> like... <laughs> You would be destroyed as well, along with your crewmen. Better than being one of you. Biatch. It's a nice standoff, though. Oh, no, yeah, it's... It works in the inside walls. And if it were another villain, like a other well-developed villain... This would actually be a near a pretty flawless scene, but it's it's just it's running up to what we've been told about the Borg. Like if they had Voyager found had Voyager been thrown into the Gamma Quadrant and found the Founders, 
this like if that were Salome Jens, I would have no complaints about the scene at all. Because all of the emotion, all of the like, like like it would just it would be it would it would be buttressed by what we knew about the Dominion not in conflict with it, yeah. where everything going on here to some extent contradicts or dilutes what we know about the Borg. I think it's in keeping with a lot of what's in first contact. Yeah, yeah, and it does expand on it, but it's in keeping with it in a way that we don't like because we like Q Huborg. Yeah. Good thing that guy was going so slow. slowly. I know. How would you defeat the Walking Dead? Walk briskly, like yeah. <laughs> go very slightly faster than they do. Then why couldn't the Queen read Seven's mind? Now she was gonna see it. Yeah, it's it. it yeah. I guess that she couldn't at that moment. I don't know. They're starting to use LCD screens mm. uh, practically. And it doesn't look good yet, because it's still, like, 1999 or whatever. <laughs> so the viewing angles are horrible on them. If they're going to do it in uh, Enterprise to not very good effect, in my opinion. I like the screens themselves in Enterprise. Though. Sure. Without stuff on. Right there. I mean, look at that. Ugh. It's horrible. We should go back and reshoot all the scenes with uh, OLED screens. Well, sure. I mean, even plasma would have been better. Thirty pterodines. The whole rerouting of power thing. Of my criticisms of Voyager, number one is whiffing on a Borg origin. Uh, number two is the Kazon. Number three is uh, whiffing on some of the good villains they created. You know, like not going back to them enough. Although that's mitigated somewhat by the fact that they are going in a straight line out of the... Oh, well, that's going to be one of my complaints about this. The, the button of this episode is they're about to use the transwarp hub to get another 10,000 years closer to home or whatever. And it's just theoretically put them well past Borg space, yet we still run into the Borg all the fucking time. But what is Borg space if they've got transwarp? Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, one structural complaint which happens frequently is that they have drama that is predicated on something is down to 12% now it's down to 2% one more hit and it'll you know like eh and then also you know it's like reroute to this field reroute from that thing they, they lean heavily on a lot of in battle techno babble yeah so now I guess they can fire torpedoes at a transwarp conduit, and why did no one ever do that before? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, like even in um, Descent, the implication was the ship was traveling through some extant 
wormhole like thing in space like it was a the, the the thing was in space it was not the ship doing it itself the ship went somewhere to go disappear right um, am I remembering that correctly the largest chunk of the debris had a good heft to it it rotated like it was an object of some yeah. mass yeah We got another 20,000 light so years let's, out of the transit. So let's trail. review. We got 10,000 out of Kess, 10,000 out of um, the different not transwarp special drive from Timeless. Yes. 20,000 just now. <coughs> um, plus uh, whatever the residuals of Arcturus gave them on the Dauntless. Sounds like they should be about halfway home. A little more than halfway home. Just saying. It's like, they should not be running into the Borg as often. Or if they should, then so, so should everybody else. <laughs> what I really wished Voyager would have done is get into hard sci-fi questions of what it means to be in the galactic core versus the outskirts of the galaxy. Mm. What kind of... Like how far apart stars are. How far apart stars are, how, what kinds of beings would evolve there. Because of the harsher radiation environment. Oh, I would have actually, I would have even liked the inverse, like when they're crossing between galactic arms. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they've had the void. Yeah, yeah. Know, so, I, and I really enjoyed that because yeah. that gets to what's going on in space flight. I mean, that being said, I think when you're between the galactic arms, you can still like see them because they're there giving yes. off light. You can probably see them better because there was nothing in the way, but. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. Well, I mean, my, my overarching complaint, Voyager's original sin, um, sin 1A, was uh, never really digging into what it would really be like to be away from the resources of Starfleet for so long. So Battlestar Galactica's first two and a half seasons, the good seasons, were what I wanted Voyager to be. Um, that You know, there's a tension, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the replacement show for TNG. Yeah. So on some level, from an emotional standpoint, it has to be nice, right? Like, it has to feel good to watch it, you know, in a way that Deep Space Nine was less so. Yeah. Uh, it, it needs to feel homey. It needs to feel welcoming. They do go to extremes a few times, but then usually... So Galactic Reset Button is a huge problem on Voyager. Yeah. I mean, and then Sin 1B was just not keeping up the Maquis Starfleet thing, but... So, Janeway and Seven have a little scene at the end there, and it's not enough for me. Like, yeah. I feel like... I feel like Seven owes Janeway a pretty fucking serious explanation as to why she, you know, essentially mutinied and... Right, she should have explained, I've, like... The responsible thing to do is go into Janeway's office and say, I was just contacted by the Borg Queen. You really need to call up this mission. At the very least, she should say to Janeway that you're right. She had a very strong influence on me and I wasn't in control of myself. You yeah. Know, you were right. I was wrong. Going back to the previous yeah. discussion they had. Yeah. So I feel like that part wasn't resolved uh, terribly well. I mean, they've killed the Borg Queen, apparently. Well, we've killed her before. But this is the second time. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, Kevin, I agree with you 
that the sort of second half of the episode is less strong than the first half. I feel like the first half was really tight and, you know, had good momentum narratively and, you know, a lot of good beats and good scenes between the characters. And then stuff got a little bit loosey-goosey, yeah. which is endemic to many a Brandon Braga and show. And I'll say it this way. What did this episode do to the larger story? It reaffirmed Seven's place on the ship, and it gave us some insight into her emotional status as a person assimilated as a child. Yeah. But the problem is, and I think this is a broader complaint with what, like, the downside to the use of Seven, is we've done both those stories before with, like, I'm not saying, like, especially with the stuff with her parents wasn't insightful and additional, but we've had, we've had discussions about Seven's perceived like unity with her crew and her feelings about being assimilated. So like, I wonder like maybe he had this like, so on, on normally when they want to revisit a story, what I want to know is that they've done something additional or something new, something new to justify coming back. And the, the Hanson stuff largely gets us there, but in kind of a broader st structural sense, I don't feel like anyone or anything is that different or re more revealed than they were at the top of the episode. I, yes, I think there should have been more conclusive development for Seven of Nine. Yeah. Indicated in dialogue yeah. in the final scene there. Um, I enjoyed all the flashback stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite the incessant questions that were brought to my, my brain about it. Um, I mean, look, if there were never any retconning, what would our stories look like, right? Yeah. You yeah. could you could only go forward in stories, you can only build on what's been established on screen, and it would be extremely laborious and... Oh yeah, no, I'm, right? I'm not, I'm not a purist to the extent that I can never tolerate, I mean, I, I especially am, am never a stickler on small and consequential stuff where, like... Uh, it's more just that this felt like it, there is kind of like a weighted analysis of like how big is the thing you're doing and how big is the thing you're upsetting to do it like fudging a timeline in the nebulous era between next gen between TOS and next gen to tell a really cool story and set up the peace with the Klingons it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine, it's fine. you do what you need to do this feels like it was like contravening a shocking revelatory moment a little bit and it's fine i can i can let lots of things go i've i i, I am an i'm an adult i understand the world's not conformed to my will it's fine well um, i mean i guess what we're supposed to take from it is that there was growing awareness in certain portions of the federation that there was a species or a a, a culture a, yeah an entity out there that was different and strange and interesting and new, but that this wasn't a widely held opinion you know, or I, belief. I, I think they could have fixed it because Guinan indicates um, that she knows what they are in Q-Hoot. They're the Borg. They destroyed her world. We know from generations that the Alorians sought refuge in Federation space after their homeworld was destroyed. Maybe if the Hansons weren't calling them the Borg from the jump or say, or like all they had was a name. And not like a cube toy that their six-year-old daughter played with. Oh, heck. I mean, if they had just said, you know, this is the race that destroyed the Alorians or something. Yeah, and we were so we'd we're, be like, woo, this yeah, is so great. Yeah, we'd, yeah. 
So, so it, it's. It, I think they could have shaded it differently to prevent the problem. That being said, that's that's not my biggest complaint with the episode. Just in, in a in a specific sense, the back half gets mushy because Janeway's plan feels borderline irresponsible. The Boar Queen's plan is borderline nonsensical. Um, and then in a sort of broader sense, I don't feel this episode got us to anywhere. Like. I would feel exactly how I feel about Seven and Janeway at the end of this episode as I do at the start, because I already had empathy for her position, and we've seen some insight into her parents. You know, we, we've already, like, maybe had we not had the raven, but I guess we would need the raven to have the, the logs, but it was one of those, like, I don't know what this did. Um, and that's, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, without trying to be overly biased by living in the golden age of television, where every single moment of every single TV show is a neatly constructed tile in a mosaic that will show you the face of God. Like, I, I get it. Not everything has to reinvent well, the wheel or alter That certainly the can't be the standard for the new Discovery show. <laughs> uh, but I just feel like... We so I'm, I'm, t- I, I, I'm hearing you. Yeah. I agree generally that this whiffed on a few aspects. Uh, I do think what it did was be entertaining for an hour and a half. Yeah, I w- I'll say, like I said, it never, it's like watching a competent dancer do a dance that a normal person couldn't do, but not like the world's most complicated fucking dance. Like what I watch, I watch like, this is like watching like the Nutcracker for me, where it's like, yep, this is, this is straightforward like if, if you want to watch ballet here is a ballet um it's just it's not one that excites me it's not one that like stirs my soul but it's a comp it's a entertaining piece of entertainment competently executed by everyone involved all right so there are, there are some story problems but some story successes it's a mixed bag uh, how about acting? I think acting was pretty uniformly excellent yeah I mean it's 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 weird at some point to be like I mean Kate Mulgrew is going to Kate Mulgrew. She did. That's it. Um, seven of Same uh, with Jerry, J- Ryan. J- Jerry Ryan did what we know she can already do. It's, I mean, it wasn't like, it, it, I mean, and again, we've asked her to be afraid. We've asked her to be angry and confused and she's done all those things before and she did them again and did them fine. So in some level, it's almost like, um, you know, do you get diminishing returns and it's kind of like, well, we, we know Patrick Stewart can act. We've watched him do it for so long. So it's not like really a feather in the episode's cap to say they acted it well because we know they can act it well and they've acted exactly these things before. But the guest stars did success. a really good job. Susanna Thompson, what was asked of her remains slightly confusing. But it's like, like, like if, if she showed up with like a pizza, like I hate pineapple pineapples on pizza but if Susanna Thompson showed up with like the world's best pineapple pizza I'd be like well you did you, you you what you brought you brought to perfection it it makes no sense to me why you brought it but <laughs> or why you were asked to bring it but yeah like the emotional arc of the queen made sense if you accept for reasons that the queen gets an emotional arc I think the Hansons were really good Kirk Bailey yeah, yeah, yeah. and Laura Stepp uh, even Caitlin Peterson was pretty good. Not Scarlett Palmer's good. Uh, you know, she's she, she was, was amazing. Yeah, she was inoffensive as a child actor, which is yeah. really all we ask of child actors here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, acting wise, it was a, a truly excellent Jerry Ryan performance, a very yeah. good Kate Mulgrew performance, and then the guest stars all succeeded. Yeah. At doing what they needed to do. Uh, production values were pretty strong. Uh, only the reuse of the 
Delta Flyer was construction a real stuff. misstep. Ooh. Um, I don't like the fish lens. I mean, I'm it. Yeah, it, it was all good, and I think they were all standing. It looked sets. expensive. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't anything too new. I don't think. Because I think a lot of that corridor work would have been built for previous Borg outings. But it was solid. Yeah, solid. Certainly nothing. Nothing was wrong with it. And I just don't like fish lenses the way you don't like strobe lights, and they just are part of the Borg aesthetic. Yeah, um, they had both, and they were what they were. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally, I'm at a four on this. I think I've, I've, no, oh, go ahead. I, th- I think it's, I think the story is at least average. I mean, it's, it's a big story. It's got a certain level of ambition. Does it succeed all the way? No. If the first episode is broken into just being a first episode, is the first episode stronger than the second? Yes. You know, but to me, the flashback stuff really sells it. Um, hmm. I think the resolution for Janeway and Seven is not strong enough. I think that's a an endemic story flaw. Yeah. I think what they do at the Borg is not any worse than what First Contact did with uh, the Borg. I think it's a little worse. I think it... it, it, it Whatever the problems of First Contact were, this am- it didn't just reuse them, it amplified them. Well, I can agree with that, but did it amplify them simply by going back to it and not changing them? or No, I think it, I think it added substantively in a way that... Like, the, the Borg Queen, and largely just by virtue of the limited screen time, got to be a little more mysterious um, than the Borg Queen here. The <laughs> Borg Queen was just putting all her emotional cards on the table uh, via her eyebrows. Well. Um so I'm, I'm not opposed to that when it's Susanna Thompson. No, she did a great job, but it's just um, I I think I'm stuck at a three. This is a competent, well executed episode, but it never really set me on fire. And I get that the acting was very good, but I'm kind of in a place that you were in like season seven with like Brent Spiner when they like at some point you know who the good actors are, you know what they're capable of doing. It's no it it's it not it, there is a little bit of diminishing returns hanging your hat on an episode knowing that this core group of actors will just knock if you ask them to read the phone book they do a great job it's like i know that so it's not it's like i expect i've been it's it's, it might seem a little unfair but it's like i've been trained to expect kate mulgrew and jerry ryan to be very very good at their jobs so in an episode that's otherwise weaker on story it's no longer as elevating for me five you know five seasons into kate mulgrew and two seasons into jerry ryan to say the acting was really good it's like i, I knew the acting's good that's but that's that's taken as red at this point so this this falls a little short of the four for me not not a lot i get i understand all you're saying but i think sitting here watching it that last half really like the 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 parts of the plot that didn't make sense really didn't make sense, and I think that holds it back from a four for me. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. Uh, so that's seven overall, uh, which I think is reasonable for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I guess... <laughs> it's interesting, and we don't have to get into it right now. Maybe we can get into it on Sunday, but, you know... I seem to tend to give Voyager a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, and you seem to be able to give Discovery. Oh, and Deep Space more Nine, yeah. Of the doubt. Uh, I, I'm 
I am consciously choosing... With Deep Space Nine, it was that I viscerally responded to that show more positively. I, I was more in tune with its mission statement and aspirations and that grabbed me in a way. And I think that I would obviously color my opinion. With Discovery, I'm consciously choosing to be a little nicer to over... Maybe at this point still overcorrect for... Like, like just hearing us to pick apart technical problems and like, you know, nitpick the plot holes. Like... When we nitpick a TNG episode, we are having a qualitatively different experience, and I'm, I, I am, I am holding off on that real like, Discovery doesn't do these things because it's only nine episodes in, and whatever the other problems with tone and story and how the, they you know structure stories across the season, we do just live in a different era of television, like that kind of week-to-week serialized like tng would be a weird show to make today it just wouldn't be done the same way even if they were trying to make exactly what tng was so i'm i'm consciously choosing to and and, I, and i've had conversations with other people who really really like the show um uh, most of them didn't watch tos like uh, the, the the people i know who really like discovery did not watch the original series. So there's less feeling that there's contradiction or to the extent that there's contradiction that that is as important. Like, like if they contradicted Enterprise on Discovery, I would not feel angry. I no, would not. I agree with that. <laughs> so it's one of those, like, I... And, and then the other thing is just on a general sense, I have been asking for good Star Trek for years. The Abrams movies are crap. There is no justifying them. There is enough. There is a solid... I, there is a there's a rocky core at the heart of this questionably habitable planet that is Star Trek to me like this uh, a core like Burnham and Saru and the and uh, Stamets and like all there's a core thing there and I won't li- I won't lie having two dudes kiss on Star Trek is gonna get you half a point from me as like a, a as just a general thing like there's there's enough there that makes me happy that I am willing to tolerate the things I don't. And then, like I said, the fact, like, when they blew up the sarcophagus ship, spoiler alert in case you haven't started yet, um, that said to me, we can course correct. We know what is not working. We trimmed the fat where it needed to be trimmed. I think, like, yeah, beyond that, all of the little stuff of, like, well, why would they do it that way? There have been plenty of great episodes of Star Trek where we've asked, well, why would they do it that way? But because we had such big grins on our faces, the question didn't bother us. So it's one of the, it's like, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's like when you, uh, it, like, if you run your hand under cold water and then put it in, like, room temperature water, the water feels hot. Like, the context of my mood obviously impacts my analysis of some of the finer grain stuff, so I'm willing myself into a good mood before analyzing the tiny grain stuff. See, I think with Voyager, um, the reason that Voyager works for me, there, there are two big reasons, two species of reasons, and one is that the characters are really strong for me and I just like I care about them and they really succeeded at that really quickly you know I think Jerry Taylor really did a bang up job uh, in the pilot you know setting up character dynamics that were that were really good and solid and like I remember caring pretty deeply about Janeway the doctor Tom Paris Bolana Torres. Yeah, I think that's one point. Like I, 
and, and Tom Paris has never, I mean, I don't dislike him. He's just never cracked my like top 25 of favorite characters. Okay. Well, so I'm always responding to the characters, but then the other, the other thing that really works for me is that there is something about <coughs> the way there are enough stories, first of all, where Captain Janeway has to wrestle with Starfleet slash Federation values and ethics versus the exigencies of her current situation that I'm like, you know what? The writers get it. They get what the Federation is. They get what Starfleet is. And so it always feels very rooted in the world. And the world became the world with TNG, right? TOS was inconsistent uh, the best of it was super, super good. They, I, I think Gene Kuhn and Gene Roddenberry both uh, avoided having anything grossly contradictory in TOS with the overall worldview, right? Yeah. But in TNG, they were very explicit about the worldview. I mean, TNG gave us episodes like Who Watches the Watchers, you know, like First Contact. Uh, I mean, some of these incredible episodes that really illustrate the values of this culture to to an extraordinary degree and so voyager the stories and the characters and the situations always feel like they recognize that world that's in tng they tweak it a bit they push it a bit but it, it's always voyager to me has always been like more tng right and if you do that and you make me feel that way, you're going to get a lot of leeway from me because yeah, it just feels like more well, TNG. For me, though, it's almost like the reverse where it's like if, if I read this as more TNG, part of me just goes, well, I'll just go watch TNG. Like, Well, but these are different characters and I do care about the characters. Yeah, so and in, in tandem, those two things make me very yeah, my, my problem with Voyager is just on a couple of larger structural things, the stories never went to as interesting a place as I think they should have gone or as consistently as they should have gone there. And so it kind of runs out of steam for me. And I agree, there are characters I like a lot, and there are characters I came to like 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 a lot on rewatch. Like I really uh, liked Milana on a second rewatch, but um, just didn't. Yeah, the stories never excited me in the same way. And and eventually, like with Bliss last week, you start to see the seams of like where the writers had kind of tread this ground before in some really blatant ways. I, I really think the entire franchise would have been better if the gaps, instead of being zero, 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 uh, nine years and six, like the nine years for another movie and then another, you know, eight for a TV show, had it been like one or two years off between TNG and Voyager, one or two years off between Voyager and Enterprise, I really think it would have invigorate like it would have necessitated bringing in different people it would have given the writers experience and create you know stuff outside of star trek and i think it would have kept the engine running a little longer than and and i have a i have an ice did not watch all of enterprise and to this day i'm still missing episodes from it which will be a fascinating uh, uh yeah coda because it's going to be the last thing we do because i doubt we're um so it's like there's but just the sense that it's like these people are just fried. Like, the people running this have nothing more to give. Well, and... so, I, I'm sure. I mean, it's counterfactual. You know, who, yeah. know, who knows yeah. how different it would have been. Um, 
the benefit of having it having been done the way it was done is that TNG DS9 Voyager maybe Enterprise are of a piece. They feel like part of the same yeah, world. Yeah. You know? This new show, Discovery it's just not feeling like well, the same. And, world and that's thing. the thing. And that's the thing. Like I'm, I, I, I have slowly come to grips with the fact that even if you got like Jerry Taylor and, uh, I mean M- Michael Pillar is sadly no longer with us, but like Rick Berman, Jerry Taylor, Ira Stephen Bear, like if you got those people back in room to make another Star Trek show, I don't know if it would necessarily feel of a piece with this. Like the world is different. And like I, I, I have decided to accept. Like, like, and I said this with before the Abrams movies too. If you had given me that movie, but with just internally consistent characterizations and mechanics for Starfleet's policy decisions of any kind, I wouldn't have been thrilled. But I would have been. I, I would also have not been angry. Um, like, I feel Discovery crosses like some minimal threshold for me of like, you may be telling a different story about a slightly different world. Because it's a TV show, it's not a real place. And I, I agree. It so, makes a whale more sense. Yeah. So like than I, the Abrams shit. Yeah. So I Absolutely. guess I'm willing to give Discovery the benefit of some doubt to say you have a your main character absolutely embodies old school Star Trek values. We are. <laughs> I am sad that she does not get to talk about them as often. Um, but I can't deny that in that core in a core group of actors, their explicit character outlooks are orthodox Starfleet. Like, to the, very much so. The The ship itself becomes not that because of who the captain is, and I agree, the oscillate... Like, I don't mind not knowing whether um, the captain, whose name... Lorca. Thank you. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm getting old. Lorca is a psychopath or simply a good but wounded man... I'm worried the writers don't know, yes. and I'm worried that they're going to keep not knowing because it gives them the freedom to do whatever they want that's, and attribute it to some question. That's and, the inescapable feeling I'm getting. Yeah, is that so, they don't know what story they're telling. And, and I and I I and 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 I guess I'm willing to I, I I will give Discovery two seasons because there were some real real weak episodes in the first both the first two seasons of Next Gen and DS9, and I love both those shows to pieces, and I understand, and you've made this point, that tonally, both shows, even at their nadirs, had more, were more consistent in their tone and clear in their objectives than Discovery. I appreciate that argument, but it's not the only vector I can judge a TV show on. Week to week, I'm sufficiently entertained, the, the effects are beautiful. I'm, like, even as chaotic as they are, there's only been a handful of times that I've really gone... to an effect most of them were the Klingons and they blew it up like I just I I am maybe I'm choosing to read uh, my chicken entrails in a very particular way but like just I I I feel the I've taken the auspices after the end of the last episode of Discovery and I felt better I had an organically depicted gay couple I have a diehard Trekkie anchoring the show as its lead character she like what and again whatever problems we have with introducing Sarek and I have many she is a good character she is interesting she embodies Starfleet ideals right there um the effects are beautiful Saru's a great character like all there's so much there to like that I'm choosing to like it more that I have questions about Lorca's real character and 
I can live with that. Like, again, it's is it going to crack... In, like, okay, I mean, realistically speaking, Discovery's best shot, Discovery's best day, was going to be supplanting Voyager as my third favorite Star Trek series. Like, yeah, you know, it's it was maybe, maybe, maybe like a soft tie with Deep Space Nine. Because nothing's going to be better than Next Gen. Even if Next Gen came back, it would not be as good because I am not Nine. Um, so I've... And then I, I, and I also, like, I, I like to spot check, and I've talked to it, like, it wasn't like the Abrams movies where there was, like, one or two people who were like, oh, yeah, I like them, and I can watch them, and then, like, no, no, they're terrible. They're terrible as Star Trek, and they're terrible as movies. Discovery is questionable as to how much Star Trek it is, and at least competent in its storytelling. Are there places both could be better? Absolutely. But... Eh, I can, I can, I can live with that. I think at least got, for another season. I think it's got a raging case of the dum dums, as far as A, B, C, you know, plot progression points, but it's generally more intelligent. Oh no! Like consistent, I got, I got consistent. Say, the other, the other um, than the Abrams movies. Well, I would say, and the other point that really got me in Discovery, like the point where I was like, huh, was the way they like the actual interactions with um both Burnham and uh Lorel in that last episode where it's like our biggest complaint about making Tyler a, a a secret agent is that it means we shouldn't care about the character we've been caring about and the way they've managed to thread that needle in that episode said whatever his actual role here is Tyler does appear to be some real personality whether that's one there was a real human that a Klingon is grafted onto or an artificial one that's become so credible it now trips that very sci-fi question of when is something faked so well it becomes real all that but setting that aside like you managed to do the thing I thought you couldn't do which was implicate the idea that Vok is a Klingon sleeper agent without making me feel dumb for caring about his character arc and based on the way they did it in that episode, I'm like, well, you appear to be aware of that complaint and have preemptively written around it. So I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm... I can be judgy. I'm a lawyer. And a homosexual, so I, I judge a lot. Um, so it's just like, I can step. I will step back and give you the room to do the show, not the show that I would have you do. Okay. I'm willing well, to give that another seven episodes at least. Okay. Maybe we should save some of that for our <laughs> forthcoming Discovery podcast. Well, I think we've gotten out of the way. Dark Frontier is a seven. Uh, I like it more than Kevin does, but I like Voyager more than Kevin mm. does. Um, solidly good, even quite good in spots, but then with a few uh, inconsistencies or flaws. Um, this has been a strong stretch in Voyager, though. Uh, we've had a lot of pretty high ratings. No tens, but some pretty high ratings. Yeah, any, I don't think any twos yet. No, there have there has not been a stinker in season yeah. five so far. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, so we will uh, come back at you for the next episode of Discovery coming very soon. Although we might publish that podcast before we do this one. Yeah, I can get up tomorrow. Um. So uh, live long and prosper. Uh, have a good life. As long as you're still alive listening to this, uh, hopefully we as long have... As, the, as long as the Republic stands. Nuclear conflagration has not destroyed us. I didn't think I'd be worried about that ever again. Uh, thank you, he who shall not be named, for bringing that sort of anxiety back into my life. Um, uh, 
Yeah, when I said I wanted stuff from the 80s back, I meant next generation, not nu- not fear of nuclear holocaust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, live long and prosper, peace and truly long life. Um, <laughs> yeah, and see you for Discovery. <laughs>